Welcome to the Sunday School lesson from Joelton Church of the Nazarene. My name is John Mills. I'm glad we can be together today. And today we are looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament. And Ecclesiastes packs a lot of wisdom into its pages. But it demands a lot from us if we are going to grasp that wisdom. So we have an experience in store for us as we study a fascinating but a very mystifying book at times. Before we begin this lesson, let's bow our heads for prayer. I want us to pray together the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Now, when we look at life, we find ourselves often agreeing with what the writer of Ecclesiastes gives us here. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 14. When we look at this, we're kind of reminded of the children's song, This is the Song That Never Ends. This was made popular by Sherry Lewis with her puppet Lamb Chop. And if you've ever had young children, you probably heard this song at some point. But she introduced this song that says, This is the song that never ends. Yes, it goes on and on, my friends. Some, some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because... And then you say the first line over again. This is the song that never ends. And so... As we read Ecclesiastes today, this is what we see in these Bible verses. It tells us there's a time for everything, and everything has its place. You know, Ecclesiastes is one of those books of the Bible where we must read each verse in the context of the whole book. The website Bible.org states in its study of Ecclesiastes, Proof testing this book or missing its tongue-in-cheek worldview will prove to be a disaster. Ecclesiastes has a lot of wisdom if you approach it in the right way. The writer of Ecclesiastes is not named. Instead, he refers to himself as the preacher or some translations, the teacher. And there are many who believe Solomon was the author of Ecclesiastes, but we simply don't know. As you read this book, though, there's one phrase that stands out, a phrase you see repeated over and over. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or, as the King James puts it in a more poetic version, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So the question becomes, what makes a life worth living? How do we avoid a life of vanity, a life of meaningless? Well, the preacher answers this by saying, Live your daily life with contentment 
and with purpose. He writes, I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. But this is not easy. It's the gift of God. It's by God's grace. Living in this way is not our default setting. It takes deliberate action and purpose on our part. But there are principles that we see here in this section that help us to avoid a meaningless life. And we want to look at two realities that must be acknowledged if we're going to live with contentment and purpose. First, we have to recognize that life isn't under our control. Life has its rhythms, its seasons, and we must adapt to these. When we live under the delusion that we decide the shape and the flow of our lives, we end up with a very meaningless life. And we also must acknowledge the reality that just as life isn't under our control, neither is God. As the preacher says here, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We are in no position to evaluate or to judge what God does. We have no way of predicting how God will act. But when we try to control God, to manipulate God, to achieve our own purposes, we end up with a meaningless life. In computer programming, there's what are called infinite loops. These are a series of computer code instructions that cause the computer to just continue looping through the same commands over and over and over again. Sometimes this is deliberate on the part of the programmer, but a lot of times it's a mistake. When I was in high school, I took a programming course in BASIC. And at that time, with the, the languages available, you could easily find yourselves in one of these infinite loops if you weren't careful. And at times, our lives can seem like we are caught in just endless verses of the song that never ends, or maybe in an infinite loop, each day the same as the day before. And we look into the future and we see the same thing repeated over and over again. And this is what we find when we begin looking at our text today. Ecclesiastes 3, and we're going to look first at verses 1 through 8. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Here, we're given a description of the human experience of life, the ceaseless rhythms of life. In these verses, the preacher points out what is most obvious about our lives. Life consists of seasons and rhythms. And this is the nature, one of ceaseless rhythms of life. Life is cyclical in many ways. And if we're not careful, this may lead to a feeling of futility, 
a feeling that nothing will be accomplished, that nothing is actually worth doing because everything will be repeated. So why invest time and effort and energy in what we do if we're merely doomed to repeat it? Verse 9 sums up this, this quandary. What do workers gain from their toil? Man has a unique burden placed upon him. As the preacher says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And that's the burden of being conscious, of being self-aware. We are able to recognize perfection in beauty, but also we are made aware that this is a fleeting situation, that perfection, beauty cannot last. The uh, preacher tells us, God has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also said eternity in the human heart. The burden of being human is that we go through life as conscious beings, aware of the situation. Now, all life is really in the same situation. All life goes through these cycles. But most animals remain unaware of it. For cows and rabbits and birds and fish, there is no past, there is no future. There's only the awareness of the present. All of these animals live eternally in the now. But for humans, it's a different story. We are self-aware. We know our condition. We know that we exist. We know that we existed yesterday, that we have a past. And we know that we will continue to exist if we don't die, but that we have a future tomorrow. We have a sense of consciousness. Now, as we look around us, we see that everything comes into its own at some point. Everything reaches a point of, of peak perfection. For you gardeners out there, think of a ripening tomato. You know, it begins as this kind of hard green marble-like thing, but it slowly grows and it ripens until that moment when it's at the peak of ripeness. Or maybe you can think of an Olympic athlete, one who's been growing and training, getting stronger and better until they hit that Olympic floor. And then usually they're at the very pinnacle of their athletic abilities. And so God allows things to grow, to develop, until they reach their fullness. And we are able to see this beauty and this perfection around us, to be aware when things are truly spectacular. But then the preacher also says God has put eternity in our hearts. In other words, God has made us aware of eternity. God has given us awareness of duration. God has let us know that things exist and things stop existing. We are aware that things pass away. We can see beauty. We can recognize perfection. But we also know that things at this point cannot last, that the perfection cannot last. Everything eventually begins to decline, begins to decay. That ripe tomato becomes just a bit too ripe. And then it softens and then it becomes mushy and then it becomes rotten. The Olympic athlete, they slowly begin to lose a second here, a second there, until minutes work off of their best times. And then their best efforts are only a fraction of what they once were. 
So God has put both the awareness of perfection and the awareness of inevitable change upon us. We're aware of the beauty of the world around us, and we're aware of its loss, that nothing can stay the same. Nothing is permanent. Robert Frost summed this up in his poem, Nature's First Green is Gold. He writes, Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold, her early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief, so dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. You know, in this point, or in this poem, Frost is bringing out the reality that nothing stays at this moment of perfection. Nothing stays uh, perfect forever. Everything at some point will be lost. So, mankind has been granted the awareness of good and evil. We delight in beauty, the good, but we also are aware of the evil. We mourn the passing. And often our solution is simply to deny the reality of death or decay. Now, logically, we have to recognize at some point everyone dies. But what we do emotionally is we push it off so far into the future that we make it effectively moot. We live in denial. We can't deny that eventually we'll die, but we tell ourselves that will be so far off in the future that it doesn't really make much of a difference today. And so we idolize youth. Being young, looking young, feeling young. We don't want to show our age, admit or recognize our age, because then we recognize the inevitability of death. You've probably heard the slogan, 60 is the new 40. And we see this attitude reflected in our society, a society in which people begin getting cosmetic surgery in their 20s where people in their 40s are considered too old for certain jobs. Over 10 years ago, Americans were spending $10.4 billion a year on cosmetic surgery. I'm sure it's even more today. So our society stresses the denial of death. We emphasize being young and being youthful. But in our hearts, we know that we can't stay this way. And so we don't have much comfort in the end. The fear of death is always with us. So how does the preacher answer this? He writes, No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We can't know why God has made us in this way. To be able to see perfection and then to recognize that it cannot last. But we are in no position to judge God, to evaluate His actions. So what can we do? Well, the preacher gives us an answer. He writes, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. The preacher here gives us two things that we need to be satisfied with life, to avoid a meaningless existence. We can't figure out God and why God has made us this way, but we can live out our lives here if we have contentment and purpose. The preacher writes, there's nothing better than for people to be happy. 
to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in all of their toil. In other words, there's nothing better than to be content with your life, the ordinary, routine, mundane lives that we all live. And then he says there's nothing better than to do good while you live, to live a life with purpose, the purpose of doing good, of bringing glory to God. And so we can see for our lives to be meaningful, we need to be able to live a contented life and a life with a purpose. But these are two qualities of life that our modern day society sorely lacks. It's interesting The United States is the only wealthy country in the world where the mortality rate in the past five years has been going down instead of up. In other words, we are not living as long as the generations before us. And most of this is attributable to what are called deaths of despair. These are deaths such as suicides, drug overdose, or liver disease due to alcoholism. These deaths that are caused because people feel hopeless, because people are in despair. And we can also see in our society that a sense of purpose is one of the strongest predictors of our physical health. It's interesting, the University of Michigan, they had several researchers who did a study And they wanted to look at what were the most important factors in determining who would stay healthy and who would not. The most critical factor they found in determining health was whether you had a purpose or not. Now, this is interesting because it mattered more whether you had a purpose than whether you smoked, whether you drank, uh, whether you exercised or not whatever your diet was. And so you think about this. To be healthy, you needed to have a purpose. And if you had a purpose, that was more important than how you, uh, how you actually lived your life. And so we can see how important it is to avoid despair, to have a purpose, to live lives that are content, uh, where we are serving God rather than ourselves. And Paul repeats the message of the prophet. When he talks about in 1 Timothy 6.16, Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, our mistake is to believe that commit or contentment is a product of our environment, that contentment is caused by the circumstances in which we find ourselves. But our circumstances do not determine whether we are content or not. That depends upon us. And Paul, by his life, shows us the truth of this. Paul's life certainly did not have the uh, conditions, the circumstances that would provide contentment. 1 Corinthians 4.8, Paul describes himself as We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That doesn't certainly sound like easy circumstances. Paul wrote, however, Philippians 4, 
I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And Paul had learned to be content because Paul had a purpose in his life. Philippians 1.20, Paul writes, And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. So when we look at Paul, we see a man who impacted the known world for Christ and one who has continued to have a huge impact on the church for the last 2,000 years. No one can argue that Paul's life was one of meaningless, one of vanity. Think of what it would mean for our world today to, to see a church made up of people who are genuinely content, regardless of the circumstances they find themselves in, and a church that lives with a purpose. Think of the influence that we would have on our world, a society that Douglas Hardy describes as a world that's trying to make itself wealthy, consume itself happy, and war itself to peace. A world that's continually asking, is that all there is? How could we impact our world if we could truly live lives of contentment and lives of purpose? So how do we do this? When so much of our society is missing out, how do we make sure that our lives aren't meaningless? Well, the preacher sums it up by saying, This is the gift of God, contentment and a purpose. They come from God. And so we begin by recognizing that these valuable parts of life is not up to us, but it's a gift that we receive from God. But there are principles here that we can follow that we need to adopt. First of all, we recognize our life is not under our control. There are rhythms and seasons to life. When we live under the delusion that we shape the flow of our lives, that's when we end up meaningless. You know, we recognize the rhythms of life daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms. We have to acknowledge we can't have everything we want whenever we want. And what this means is our design or desires are not paramount. They are of not the, the greatest importance. They can't take priority. The physical world is created with natural rhythms to remind us that pleasing ourselves is not its first priority. Now, our culture does its best to convince us that this should not be true. Our consumer society bombards us with the message, you shouldn't have to wait for anything. You should be able to gratify any desire at the moment you have it. Think of our approach to food, to what we eat. In generations past, we accepted the idea that Certain foods had certain seasons. And so, you ate asparagus in the spring, you ate strawberries in early summer, you ate the corn in late summer or early fall. However, now we expect to eat any food at any time of the year. 
to eat fresh strawberries in February if we want to. We expect our stores to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So whenever I get an urge, I can gratify it. And with online shopping, we don't even have to leave our couch. I can fulfill every desire simply by clicking away. And so this leads us to the belief that we deserve to have every whim accommodated, that every urge has to be fulfilled. And if not, something is wrong. But what it does is it keeps us on a treadmill. We desire, we get, we lose interest, we desire something else, we obtain it, we lose interest. We can't enjoy what we have because we're continually thinking there must be something better out there that I'm missing out on. It's interesting, when I was growing up, uh, we had access only to local television. And so there were three or four channels if you were fortunate. But that was it. You watched whatever was on ABC, NBC, CBS. And I can remember as a, a late teenager, I first sat down to watch cable television. And this person had over 100 channels. But what was interesting, my brother could never sit still and watch one program. As soon as he got in front of the cable box, he began flipping through every channel, convinced that on the next channel was something that would be even better than what we were watching on this channel. Well, in reality, what that led us to was we never got to watch anything. We just constantly flipped through the channels. And so much of our life ends up like that. We are never content because we will not recognize that life has its rhythms. Life has its seasons. And we have to, we have to uh, build our lives around that. Now, we also have to recognize that just as life isn't under our control, neither is God. The preacher says, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We are in no position to evaluate or to judge what God does. We have no way of predicting what God will do, of manipulating God into doing what we want Him to do. But that's exactly how we end up living most of our lives, trying to control God, to achieve our own goals, our own purposes. And so we can't be content as long as we are second-guessing God. We can't live purposeful lives until we adopt God's purpose for our lives. The preacher's ultimate conclusion, though, is, I know that everything that God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. In the end, God's ways are perfect. And so we are told, what God does is perfect. It's lasting. It will not change. It doesn't need to change. It is absolutely all that it should be. And so God's actions never need adjustments. As a result, we don't try to change God. We trust in God. And it's easy to say this, well, just trust in God. It's much harder to actually do it. But again, look back at Paul. In 2 Corinthians, he writes about his life. In troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, genuine yet regarded as impostors, dying and yet we live on, 
beaten and yet not killed, having nothing and yet possessing everything. That is the secret to a meaningful life, being content no matter our circumstances because we have a purpose, and that purpose is to honor Christ in everything we do. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these words of wisdom from Ecclesiastes, words that keep us from living a life without meaning and a life without purpose. We can look around us and we see so much of our society. We see so many of our friends and families and neighbors trapped in these kind of lifestyles. And we have to look at our own lives a lot of times and say, we've often fallen, fallen victim to this. But Lord, you have shown us a better way, a way to live a life of contentment and a life of purpose if we find it in you. And we ask that you would help us to do this in your name. Amen.